Little honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Dripping black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. This morning, we are setting the table with chicken. Our guests today include just a tip of the iceberg representing their perspectives on this topic. And this is but the first installment of Tennessee Farm Table shows featuring chicken. On today's program, our guests include Lois Schuler, Karen, and her daughter, Ruth Davis of Blount County, Tennessee, with a recipe their family has enjoyed for many years, which is easy to prepare and economical, chicken and crackers. We also hear from farmer Allison Bales of Mossheim, Tennessee, and her recipe for buttermilk chicken, how to get the most of a whole chicken, and how to make chicken broth. And James Beard, award-winning food writer, Ronnie Lundy, reading from her book, Shuck Bean, Stack Cake, and Honest Fried Chicken, The Heart and Soul of Southern Country Kitchens, published in 1990. In this recording, she reads from her book on the topic of honest fried chicken prepared in cast iron. We also hear an heirloom recipe and jingle written and performed by Chris Trulson of Bill and the Bells, which comes from the Farm and Fun Time show from Radio Bristol. The guest for this Farm and Fun Time heirloom recipe and jingle is Chuck Gordon, CEO of Tri-City Beverage, makers of Dr. Enough, that distinctive lemon-lime beverage made for over 70 years from the state of Tennessee out of Johnson City, Tennessee. And Chuck shares a little bit of history of Dr. Enough. I want to say thank you so much for your good company here today at this big Tennessee table. I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's first head on over to Blount County in the eastern portion of the state of Tennessee and join Ruth Davis and her mother, Lois Schuler Collarin. Lois is known as the last woman out of the cove. That is Cade's Cove, which is part of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and once home to Lois and her late husband, Kermit Collarin. 
Here's an easy and economical recipe for chicken and crackers. I guess the easiest and simplest recipe, and the one we've made most in the last few years, is Dad's mother. We called her Ma. Ma's chicken and crackers. Yeah. And anybody can get these ingredients, and it's not hard to fix. Of course, they, when a hen would quit laying, or a rooster would get mean and flog people, that was the victim, <laughs> and uh, it, it would be slaughtered and dressed, and um, the skin would be left on it, but they'd cut it up in pieces and put it in a big pot, cover it with water and salt it, and boil it until that meat was tender. And then they'd take the big bread pan with the two-inch sides on it, that's two fit two foot by 14 inches or 18 inches or so big pan and fill it about an inch deep with broken up saltine crackers and then lift the chicken out of the pot bone in and just put it all over the crackers and pour the broth over the top of that and set it back in the oven and bake it until the crackers that were on top started to brown. Mm. And that's chicken and crackers. Yeah. And it's good. <laughs> <laughs> you you cut it all up in a little bunch of pieces well, before boiling? Just like you cut the legs and the wings and the thighs. And, okay. You know, like you'd normally breast. and. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how long about does it have to cook for? Oh, I'd say... 45 to 50 minutes at a good boil mm-hmm. if it's an old hen. <laughs> <laughs> or a mean old rooster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they will get mean. Some they do. Of them. They do. <laughs> we had a little bantam chicken and I had to go out to the branch to wash clothes, you know, and she'd want to go to the house and get a cracker. Every time she'd go to the house and get that cracker shot back out to me, uh, she had to run to keep that chicken from the uh, Flogging her, I don't know what he'd do, but anyway, she would run and cry. Well, the last day of his life, he did get on my back. I fell, or stooped down to pick up a cracker that I dropped, and he jumped up and flogged my back, and he was chicken and dumplings the next day. (laughs) Daddy took care of him that night. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we are setting the table with chicken. We just heard from Ruth Davis and her mother, Lois Schuler Colrin. Lois is known as the last woman out of the cove, and the cove we're referencing is Cades Cove, which is part of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and once home to a community of people, including Lois and her late husband, Kermit Colrin. Ruth shared with us her recipe for chicken and crackers. Our next guest is Allison Bales. Allison and her family own and operate Bales Farm in Mossheim, Tennessee, in the northeastern part of the state of Tennessee. Her son Marshall is the sixth generation of this family and is carrying on the tradition of running this family farm, which has been in continuous operation since 1882. They produce premium pastured-raised meats, and Marshall is head of the egg program. 
Allison and I were talking the other day, and she mentioned to me how many people ask her questions on how to prepare a whole chicken. And groceries have gotten to be so expensive, and buying chicken by the parts and pieces is an added cost. And uh, preparing the whole chicken is really the way to go to stretch our food dollar. So I'm grateful to be able to feature Allison in this show with her knowledge that's so helpful to us all. So here's Allison Bales to let us know how to use that whole chicken. Hey everybody, this is Allison Bales from Bales Farms and I am so thrilled to be here with you today. I am going to share with you the hows and the whys of using whole chicken in your kitchen. My husband Barry and I own and operate Bales Farms, which is a century farm in Greene County and we raise grass-fed and grass-finished beef, pastured pork, pastured poultry, and our son Marshall is in charge of the egg operation. Whole chicken is so easy to use. It makes me sad when I hear people bemoan the whole chicken. I am here today to encourage you that using a whole chicken is in fact easier and quicker than using parts and pieces. You know, we always used to use whole chickens. When our grandmothers cooked a chicken, they always used the whole bird. But in the 1950s, that began to change when parts and pieces were introduced. They became more popular throughout the 60s, the 70s, and into the 80s. And then in 1984, boneless, skinless chicken breasts were introduced to the supermarket shelves. And that has changed our kitchens forever. But I am standing here today to bring back the whole bird. When you buy a boneless, skinless piece of meat, any meat, you have lost flavor and you have to put that in. That takes time, energy, and money. And when you use a whole chicken, you will see you need very few ingredients to come out with a moist, tender, delicious, and nutritious meal and even meals for you and your loved ones. Here is how I prepare my whole chicken. It's so easy. It only takes three ingredients and one of them is the chicken itself. Just take a Ziploc bag and put it in a big bowl and take a defrosted whole chicken and put it legs up in the bag. Sprinkle that very generously with salt, and it doesn't matter what salt you use. I generally use kosher salt, but you can use anything from canning and pickling salt to table salt to pink Himalayan sea salt, although I don't use that at this step because it's so expensive. Then cover the chicken with the salt with buttermilk. And if you don't have buttermilk, that's okay. You can use regular milk or you can make your own buttermilk using regular milk and a teaspoon of apple cider or white vinegar, whatever you have on hand. That brings the acidity into the milk and creates the buttermilk. So cover the chicken with the buttermilk, put it back in the refrigerator and let it sit for eight hours to overnight if you have time. 
if you don't have that much time, just a little bit is better than nothing. Then when you're ready to roast your whole chicken, pull it out of the refrigerator and let it come up towards room temperature, but not more than two hours sitting out on the kitchen counter. Set your oven temperature to 410 degrees and rinse your chicken off and then pat it dry. Sprinkle it again with salt and here is where I do sometimes use pink Himalayan sea salt. Then put your chicken in a cast iron skillet or if you don't have that a roasting pan and put that in your oven legs towards the back. Obviously the back of the oven is the hottest part of the oven and you'll want the darkest meat towards the back. Roast your chicken at 410 for about 10 minutes and you will see the skin is gold and brown. Then turn the oven down to 350 and roast for about 50 minutes. You'll need 60 minutes total. Once the internal temperature of the chicken is 165 degrees, you're ready to go. At this point in time, I pull it out and cover it with aluminum foil and let it rest for about 10 minutes. That helps to cool it down, and at that point in time, I can separate the bones and the meat. The meat I use just as roasted chicken. I use it on salads, in pasta dishes, soups, nachos, tacos. We use it every way possible. And then the bones I use for bone broth. Bone broth is amazing and amazingly simple. All you do is put your bones in a big pot, cover them with water, and put a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. That helps to bring all of the nutrients from the bones and into the broth. You'll cook that for about eight hours on low, and you know it's done when you can take a bone and easily bend or break it. At that point in time, you can just put it in the refrigerator and use throughout the week for cooking pasta or rice or quinoa or just a nutritious lunch. Bone broth is full of vitamins and minerals and that all-important collagen that we're all after these days. So bone broth is good to help fight those pesky little wrinkles that we're all complaining about. But really, we should enjoy because wrinkles are a gift, a sign of a life well-lived and well-loved. But that's it. That's how I do my chicken. And that's how I use my chicken. I hope that this encourages you to branch out and try whole chicken again. It really is delicious and nutritious and simple. And it goes a lot longer than the parts and pieces. If you would like to know more about me, my family, or what we do on our farm, including how we raise these chickens... You can visit us at www.bellsfarmstn.com. Thanks. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we are setting the table with chicken. We've just heard from Allison Bales and her recipe for buttermilk chicken and how to use the whole chicken. I've written out the recipes here on the show today, along with links to all my guests and the podcast for the show. Um, TennesseeFarmTable.com. All of the information will automatically load at that address. 
Up next is James Beard award-winning food writer Ronnie Lundy reading from her book Shuck Beans, Stack Cake, and Honest Fried Chicken, The Heart and Soul of Southern Country Kitchens. This book is a classic and was published in 1990. In this recording, she reads from her book on the topic of honest fried chicken prepared in cast iron. Honest Fried Chicken. I was born in the state of Kentucky and Colonel Harlan D. Sanders was not. So you can believe me when I say that I, not the Colonel, know the secret to making Honest Fried Chicken. Honest Fried Chicken does not come tricked out with countless secret herbs and spices. It is not quick fricasseed under pressure and will not improve in taste if left to languish under hot lamps that would be more at home in a tanning salon than in a kitchen. Proper fried chicken deserves to be served hot from the skillet, heaped high on a platter, hovered over by steamy, golden, tantalizing wisp of aroma. Honest fried chicken has a crust that is at once crisp and tender. When your teeth sink through it, the meat they find inside should be firm but succulent, bursting with hot juice and rich chicken flavor. One bite of chicken fried with proper attention to time and technique, and you will never, ever be seduced by an imposter in a bucket again. Time is the secret to making genuinely delicious fried chicken. And that is one reason you will seldom encounter the real thing in a restaurant. Most restaurant chicken is deep fried fast at high temperatures that produce crisp, hard crusts and dry, flaky meat. Chicken cooked the way my mother taught me, and the way her mother had been taught by her mother before her, is slow fried in shallow oil in a heavy skillet that is tightly covered so the juice stays in the meat. The crust is crisp to the bite, but in the mouth becomes meltingly tender. Achieving such a crust around flavorful but fall from the bone tender chicken takes approximately 30 to 35 minutes of frying. That's just enough time to make a crisp green salad and whip up a batch of scratch biscuits to be smothered in gravy, the only accompaniments you need for a fried chicken feast. The other secret to perfect chicken is in the final crisping. This is accomplished by taking the lid off the skillet and letting the pieces cook in the open for a few minutes after the chicken is done. I'm not sure why this works, I only know it does, and that chicken served straight from the covered skillet without that crisping time will have a crust that is flavorful but mushy. Some southern cooks swear by a skillet known as a chicken frying pan. It is usually made of cast iron, is at least 10 inches wide, and the inside of the lid is studded with nipples that gather and drip the cooking juices back onto the meat, making chicken fried in such a pan juicier, or so its champions claim. I have such a pan, and it makes wonderful fried chicken, but so does my extra heavy aluminum skillet with a smooth surface lid, and I prefer to use it because it's easier to clean. In any case, you need a heavy skillet with straight sides, not a rounded, omelet-style pan, and a tight-fitting lid. I've made only one change in my mother's frying chicken technique. Like most women of her generation, she favored melted vegetable shortening for the frying medium because it was healthier than the lard favored by her mother's generation. I, in turn, have adopted canola oil. Not all vegetable oils will produce the desired crust during frying, and some, like olive or peanut oil, impart their distinctive and unsuitable flavor to the kitchen. Chicken. (laughs) 
<laughs> but the kitchen too. <laughs> the canola oil works just fine and contains 20% less saturated fat than shortening. That's not to suggest that my fried chicken qualifies as health food. It's still probably a cholesterol sin to eat it, but oh, what a lip-smacking, soul-satisfying, wicked delight it is. This book was written in 1989, published in 1990, and I was asked to convert recipes from lard to another type of oil, if at all possible. So that is why I say to frying canola oil. In Vittles, which was written now, what I say is use lard. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes a huge difference also, um, because the lard just gives it additional flavor and it's so good and I think what I learned also is that my mom switched to vegetable oil because it was impossible to find good lard mm-hmm. for it there for a long time mm-hmm. but we can find wonderful leaf lard now and you should fry your chicken in that <laughs> <laughs> words from Ronnie Lundy she's That's right and uh, goodness gracious here we are she's reading from shut beans and stack cakes and honest fried chicken, the heart and soul of Southern Country Kitchens. This is Alan Benton, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Up next is an heirloom radio recording and jingle from a previously recorded live radio program called Farm and Fun Time, shared with us today from Radio Bristol. This program is hosted by Chris Trulson and is broadcast live from the Performance Theater inside the birthplace of Country Music Museum from Bristol, Virginia, right near the Virginia and Tennessee state line. center of our culture and is so important here in the Appalachian region. Food represents much more than what we eat. It represents family, memories, history, place, and more. This month's presenter is Chuck Gordon, CEO of Tri-City Beverage, a company known for the regional favorite soda pop, Dr. Enough, one of my favorites. The company was started by his father, father Charles Gordon Sr., shortly after World War II, where they soon began bottling Dr. Enough, which has always been a Gordon family product. Originally sold as the original energy booster and cure-all, Dr. Enough has become a central Appalachian staple, and the drink turned 70 years old this year, folks. Pretty cool. To tell us more about the fascinating history of Dr. Enough, please give a big farm and fun time welcome to Mr. Chuck Gordon. Thank you, thank you, and how's everybody doing tonight? I'm sure I'm looking and staring at a lot of Dr. Nuff fans. Well, he already told you part of my story, but anyway, 70 years ago, it was 1949, my dad, coming home from World War II, had started a little bottling company over in Johnson City when he read in a beverage magazine about an unusual drink being offered for uh, distributors or bottlers around the country and it was called Dr. Enough. Well, it was created by a gentleman in Chicago who noticing that his fellow workers always seemed to be lethargic and tired before the day was over. It's my 
five-year-old grandson would say, they were just pooped out. <laughs> he was touting a clean lemon-lime carbonated drink fortified with the certain absolute nutrients to address this very situation. Well, the first bottles were just a little seven-ounce bottle, and they were sold in four packs for 98 cents when soft drinks were selling for a nickel in those days. This is, this is 1950. But Dr. Nuff wasn't called a soda pop. It was vitamin and mineral tonic. My dad used flamboyant and creative introductions such as parade through downtown Johnson City and went around putting bumper stickers on cars saying, ask your doctor about Dr. Nuff. <laughs> he took out creative full-page ads declaring the miraculous benefits of Dr. Nuff. The most interesting thing about these ads were they were filled with testimonials that people would send in about their Dr. Nuff. I'm going to read you a couple of them. Here's a lady from Johnson City. Now remember, well, this was 1951. I have suffered more than anybody can tell with terrible crippling aches and pains in my back, my hands, and my arms. I had to take time off from my job to try to get my strength back. It was then that I heard about Dr. Nuff and decided to try it. After just five bottles, I felt like a new woman. <laughs> my aches and pains have miraculously disappeared. Dr. Nuff certainly supplied whatever my system was lacking and has returned my health and my youth. There we go. We need to use that. Here's a lady from Piney Flats in 1952. She says, I had suffered from indigestion, tired and weak feeling, and constipation since early in the spring. Wow. Since I've been taking Dr. Nuff, my tired, weak feelings have disappeared, my indigestion relieved, and my constipation worries are quickly coming to an end. Those, those are for real, and we've got a lot of them. Well, by the mid-50s, Tri-City Beverage was the only bottler left. Apparently, the drink just didn't take off around the country. And a few la years later, my dad was able to acquire all the rights, trademark, and formula for Dr. Enough. Today, there's three generations of people from this region who grew up drinking Dr. Enough. We realize this in holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas. They are always coming and loading up their SUVs and their trunks to take Dr. Enough back home wherever they came from. Today, with the technology we have, we see a lot on Facebook. Dr. Nuff has a Facebook. People are always sending in and posting pictures of them showing their bottle in, in places all over the country. Even soldiers in the Middle East are showing their bottles of Dr. Nuff that I assume their families have sent them. We also get recipes for cakes and cookies. We see jewelry that have been crafted out of Dr. Nuff images and, and stuff and even tattoos. We have seen some wonderful <laughs> tattoos of everything from a complete bottle to just the signature. Quite interesting. So what about that heirloom recipe? Well, I'm sorry, it's still secret. <laughs> you can read the ingredients on the label, but it's how it all goes together. That's the magic. Please know we still mix it the same way over in Johnson City using the same recipe of energy-filling ingredients, the same ones that were used 70 years ago. We call it the original energy booster. But unlike all of the energy drinks today, we don't depend solely on caffeine. Matter of fact, and we're often asked, 
one Dr. Nuff is only about one-third a cup of coffee. So you can enjoy all you want, even at bedtime. Thank you all very much, and go enjoy your Dr. Nuff. Chuck Gordon, everybody, with Tri-City Beverage and Dr. Enough. For more information, you can check out drenuff.com. I got, I got my tattoo, but I'm not going to show you all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, time for part two of the heirloom recipe segment. Uh, I was really excited about this one. This is a dream come true. You all know I like to write jingles, uh, but I also really love Dr. Enough, so when you put the two things together, it was meant to be. And just wrote this one the other day. This is a song we call, Every Day is a Better Day When You've Got Dr. Enough. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.